Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to episode 36 of the Runner's World podcast, the weekly podcast bringing you all the latest running news, views and interviews. I'm Rick Pearson, the Runner's World section editor, and I'm here with Ben Hobson, the digital editor. Ben, tell us what we've got coming up this week. Oh, it's a very special occasion this week. We are welcoming to the studio our first ever double Olympic gold winning superstar running champion, (laughs) the amazing Dame Kelly Holmes. Yeah! As well as being one of the greatest runners Britain has ever produced, Kelly has been a brave and important voice when it comes to speaking out about mental health. As it's World Mental Health Day on October the 10th, it seems like a perfect time to speak with her on the subject and how running can help people to manage their own mental health. Yes, what an absolute honour to have Kelly on the podcast. Um, So without further ado, let's welcome our very, very special guest of the week. Guest of the week. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Kelly, anyone following you on Twitter will see that running is, is still a huge part of your, uh, of your life, you know, and you get a lot of joy from it. Um, what does running mean to you now? I think running for me now is literally about me going out and doing something for myself, yeah. you know, whether that's physically and definitely mentally, you know, having that freedom. I mean, I'm fortunate that I can still run. Yeah, yeah. I've been retired a long time. <laughs> I kind of find running easy, which is a nice thing. Yeah. But it is about either socialising if I do park run or I just need some headspace. I go out, sometimes just about the fresh air and listen to the birds. Unfortunately, I li- live in the countryside. Yeah. And sometimes I just want a hard session and I kind of push myself a bit. Did you find it hard initially the transition then from being an athlete it's your job that's where a lot of the stress comes from and you associate it with having to run and now you're allowed to run just because it's nice yeah I think initially I didn't run a lot after I retired because I felt like everybody would expect me to be racing every time if I turned up so I didn't want to do like just a 5k or 10k because all I'd have is like oh my god I'm going to try you know and Believe it or not, I used to train blimmin' hard to get to where yeah, I got. Yeah. And then when you take that time off, it yeah. doesn't matter who you are. You're still like, you know, yeah. it takes a while. So for the first few years, I just couldn't almost. I yeah. ran for myself, but I never entered anything. And then I kind of had that thing of, 
you know, if I start a race, then I've started, I let people go, then I run amongst people and it became like, I get a good workout because I'm running, but I'm also socialising, so it almost took the pressure off of me. So I started doing it like that. Yeah, transition-wise, it wasn't so bad because I'd been injured a lot, as everyone knows. Mm. I used to have to do a lot of gym anyway, so whether that be cardio or strength training, Mm. and that was so that was always part of my life. So instead of doing the running, I'd probably did more gym because I was used to it. So the transition wasn't so bad because it wasn't like that's all I did run okay, yeah, and then yeah. missed running. Yeah. It was just my natural thing was to go into the gym and dot that. So I did more of that rather than run, I think. Okay, cool. Mm. I mean, you mentioned injuries there and that, I know your career, you know, you were dogged by lots of, of injuries. <laughs> what effect did, did they have on your mental health, do you think? Um, well, a huge effect. I mean, I've been very open and transparent about my journey. Initially, injuries were almost the driver to be successful because, for an example, you know, I got fourth at my first Olympic Games, mm. I was 26, but I was running with a stress fracture. You know, I was having injections into the bone site to try and numb the pain, wow. but it was the emotional and the physical element that um, was the worst thing. Mm. But coming fourth, getting pipped on the line in the final mm. made me think, oh, well, if I can come forward for an Olympic Games running with a stretch fracture, I can do this. For sure, yeah. And that was the attitude that I always had. So same, I came out firing up the next year. It was World Championships. I broke the British record that stood for 12 years by Zola Budd, the barefoot runner yeah, from right. South Africa. And I was five seconds faster than anyone else in the world that year going into the World Champs. But I got a niggle in my Achilles tendon. I went and had some treatment in Germany, came back to the heats of the women's 1500 metres and completely ruptured my calf completely tore the um uh, achilles tendon i'm hobbling down the track and told my career was over but then i had the mental attitude to go well if i can be five seconds faster than anyone else in the world yeah. number one i can do this so i kind of had all the highs and the lows but i use the lows as a driver for the highs yeah, yeah. then it just takes its torment because you um you know, if you get an injury, the automatic thing is you go to see the physio or massage. They will deal with the injury. Mm. So there's one thing that your brain almost makes you think is that you're getting help because right. they're helping the problem. And yeah. if they say, right, it's going to take three weeks, all you do is hold on to their three weeks' time. You do everything else outside of running to keep yourself fit and, you know, strong. But that's the kind of bit. But then it got to a point where I suppose in 2003 when, and again, I've been very open about this, I was getting ready for world champs in Paris. I was in a holder camp two weeks before and I just had a a massive breakdown. I mean, like literally, I looked myself in a mirror in the training camp, hated everything about me, everything about my body, wanted the floor to open up. I wanted to jump in and I didn't want to see tomorrow. I saw some scissors on the side. I started cutting myself every time I'd been injured. It was a lot of times when you're wearing a cropped up and a shorts, not that many paces you can hide, but yeah. hide you do. Because, like, who did I tell? I didn't even know about mental health. I didn't want to tell my training partner and my coach because you bring a negative effect on the mm. team yeah. or the people around you. I didn't want to call my mum and my family because they say, oh, but maybe she'd come home. I didn't want to come home. I wanted to be, like, good, <laughs> yeah. you know? And so you end up dealing with it. And back then we didn't talk about mental health yet. Within the period that I was at the darkest, you know, I describe it as like half of you's dying and half of you's trying to live because you want to achieve your ultimate goal and dream. And I went to those world championships and I stood on the rostrum and I got a silver medal my, around my neck for the 800 metres. So no one knew what was going on. Yeah. But it almost gave me the power to think, 
God, I can, yeah, I'm going through hell, yet I'm succeeding. So I kind of took that on, I suppose, to the next year and realised that the only way I can be successful is to not get injured, yeah. not get ill. I mean, I had seven years out of my 12-year career injured with something or yeah, glandular yeah. fever, tonsillitis, yet I still won 10 medals before my two. Yeah. So I knew I was always good enough, but it was just dealing with the highs and lows. Created the team around me that I said, you know, I need to keep injury free. I can't get injured anymore. Mm. And that's my only saviour to winning the gold. And fortunately, it all just came together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and how? Yeah. You mentioned before, Kelly, that, you know, back in 2003, people weren't speaking about mental health and you, and you were one of the first kind of voices to come out and actually speak bravely about it. Do you think we're in a better place now with, with mental health? Do you think we are more prepared to talk about, you know, if we're going through a low period? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I wrote about it in my autobiography mm. in 2005. And to be honest with you, I, I stand there on stage now when I do my talking and I show Athens a montage and I say, like, how many people remember this? And of course, hand goes up and yeah. it's like, I remember the face and the, you know, the eyes popping out. <laughs> and then I say, how many of you remember that there was like front page of all these newspapers and expose that, you know, I'd been a self-harmer and all this through my career? And like they're like, no. I said, exactly, because it's fish and chip paper. No one was talking about it it was almost like so taboo that you kind of think geez I can't pick that up again right, it's right. almost to sell the book why it was on the front page as opposed to yeah, there yeah. were interest then I went on a radio show I mean a TV show um, Loose Women and we were talking about sort of health well-being yeah. and the and the princes coming out and talking so I reiterated my story and they were all like a bit oh and I said no 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 the only difference is that everyone's listening yeah, my right. story's no different and yeah. other people's aren't it's just that we're now starting to talk about it yeah. and so I've always been very honest and transparent and very open about what happened to me because I think the only way I can st- stop stigmatism is to be more like this is just real life, you know, yeah. humanise things a bit more, normalise conversation. Mm. It doesn't define you, doesn't stop you being successful in mm. life, but guaranteed everyone's either suffered at some point in their life with something that's been really, for them, debilitating or somebody they know. So why don't we just talk about it and then we'll help each other? Yeah, I agree. Completely agree. Absolutely. It's a conversation that I think will save lives, which is super important. Definitely. Yeah. I, I suppose I look this side of it and just believe in fate, you know, because I... Sounds a bit cliche, but for a living, I stand on stage and I try to motivate, inspire people. But I tell them about the journey to get there that was hard and ups Mm. and downs. And I almost believe that, you know, I went through all that to achieve something greater than I ever thought I could. So that now I can talk very openly about being successful, how you get there, what you're going to go through, and all of those things. So I know it's a weird way of thinking about it, but in a way, I just believe, you know, because when I was going through the hell, I used to say, what have I done? Like, Mm. I was always, you know, I had good values. I'd always done charity work. I'd always given, you know, and I just thought, why me? Like, literally, why me? I haven't given up. I try hard. I work hard. And I just kept thinking someone's trying to put me down. Yeah, they didn't put me down enough because I rose back up and yeah. you just keep going and then achieve what I did. Sometimes you have to compute that and just think, Jesus, yeah. <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> and then life just changes and it moulds into what you want it to be. And I just used the career as a way now of, one, helping people, yeah. and secondly, continue with the motivation to say that people can succeed. When we talk about um, helping people, what, what what message would you give to anyone who, who might be listening to this who, who is maybe suffering from anxiety, depression, or perhaps self-harming? Yeah, well, I mean, just to be clear, like self-harming isn't just cutting. It's also if 
I don't know, if you had a one glass of wine in the evening just to chill out and then that turned to half a bottle, then a bottle, because actually you're masking something that you're not quite happy mm. about, yeah. that's self-harming. Anything that's kind of given an unrealistic perspective of life, you know, it's not something we should all do, just keep drinking all day or whatever, yeah. smoking the 100 fag because you're thinking stressed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I think that's important for people to identify. I kind of very basically sort of say ABC, like acceptance, maybe accepting you need help because mm. a lot of people know they might do especially now we're talking about it it's making more people aware right. that maybe they might be struggling because you're hearing so much more sure. about it so acceptance i'd probably say i don't necessarily like the word but bravery in a way to have the guts to kind of know that you need support and to go out and find that that thing with somebody or ask somebody for help whoever that be a friend a colleague a, a family member or a, a, a medical profession right. but go somewhere and then like communication and connection you know when you communicate more effectively with people and you share you find out somebody else wanted to do it as well <laughs> yeah. I can yeah. always say there's like two people in this bit it's kind of like the ones that stand on eggshells and know someone around them struggling that don't really know or want to approach it because yeah. they're worried about what that is. And then there's the person that wants the help is feels like a burden and thinks if I'm going to say it, it's like I'm putting pressure on them or that, what are they going to say to me or mm. are they going to go, no. Like if we meet sort of in the middle and start realising that actually we both communicate, then we might find out more about how we can help each other, yeah, let's right. say. Yeah. So that's kind of how I approach it now. Like your, help, talk. Yeah, well, your, your podcast... <laughs> So yeah. you, you have a lot of high-profile people come on that and who, who've equal you know, experience as you and, and sort of different experiences as well. So it allows people to have those conversations, right? Have you, have mm. you learned anything more from talking to these people? You know, you've been in the same room as people that you thought would definitely not have ever had an issue. and then all It's of fascinating, I have to say. I mean, my first one ever, first podcast, I go to Alistair Campbell's house and he's saying, oh, we're going upstairs. And I go, OK. So we're going upstairs, we're going to his bathroom. And I figure, OK, what are we doing? And he's got these bagpipes on the side and he says, oh, he's going to play bagpipes. So I'm looking around thinking, where am I going to sit? So I have to put the toilet seat down. You know, I sit on his toilet and he's doing the bagpipes and I'm interviewing him. <laughs> this is a bit surreal. Somebody's going to jump out on me and go like hey, be framed you know it's like oh and um yeah he was fascinating I really enjoyed speaking to him as I did all the 10 people that I did because and he has and he is anyway he's very open mm. he says it in a way that's kind of um you know because he was in politics and at a height of his careers with sort of Tony Blair and, you know, yeah. people would have a perception of a strong character under mm. their point, but he was struggling, like, with psychosis and things, right. you know, and, uh, you know, depression. But the one thing that probably stuck out to me more that day was him saying, if I hadn't have gone to do that interview, wouldn't have got out of bed. He was in a bad place that day. Wow. And I just thought, wow, just that power of connecting was really powerful. And he just said, yeah. thank, you know, thank you for coming. And I was like, geez, you know, I didn't know you weren't feeling well, but he just said it just helped him through that day. So yeah. he realised that people were suffering in all different times and different mo moments. Rory Brenner, age 30, being diagnosed with ADHD, thinking that is that now defines him as a stand-up comedian? Mm. Is it because he was ADHD or actually is he good? He's like, oh, you know, and mm. I went to see him in a fringe, fringe kind of event and we spoke about all this whole thing about how he now feels and how he acts and when he forgets something, it's like a black and white movie pain and he stops and, he, and I could see it all because I'd spoken to him. 
I'm thinking, oh, I'd never have known. Mm. No. So it's only when you actually get to know, and I think that's why these sort of things are so powerful. Because mm. if you can hear people's stories, you can realise, one, you're not alone, and secondly, yeah. people that are successful, let's say, because yeah. that's what a lot of people unfortunately measure themselves against seeing someone that they're inspired by in the public eye, you can look at that and go, oh, well, it wasn't all that easy and you've not got it all on a plate. Yeah, I think yeah. that's empowering for people. So to go back to the bagpipes quickly, because <laughs> my understanding is that he plays bagpipes He's to, very good. <laughs> to calm down and, to, and it makes him happy, right? Yeah. So what, what, yeah. Ma- what makes you happy? When, when are you happiest? Uh, gosh, um, going out running just because I enjoy it yeah. now. I don't have to have any pressure. Yeah. With my family, I have nine nieces and nephews. I, I can't think of any better time than just having them because I'm the biggest kid out of my family, <laughs> even though I'm the oldest. <laughs> I don't care. I don't do age at all. Uh, I don't want to age. And anyone that says they enjoy aging are lying. Um, <laughs> and then... Um, I go to theatre and I, I love musicals because it's my place to switch off. Like right. After I finish this podcast with you, I'm going with my three of my brothers and we're going to a play. And I just love it because I don't have to have my phone. I don't email. I don't speak to anyone. I just yeah. sit there absorbed in something. So I'm just happy when I'm maybe just doing things. And also what I love, you know, I am driven. I don't switch off. People say to me, switch off. I can't. I can't switch off. So I'd use those little bits of things that, okay, people think I should switch off, so I'll go yeah. and do something I enjoy. But I'm just happy being me. When, when I'm happy, I'm happy. Uh, it would be an error on our behalf to not talk to you about winning two gold medals. <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, as you mentioned, the iconic image of you crossing the line and your sort of face of realisation of what you'd achieved. But how does that feel? I don't know. I mean, I do know, but I don't know how to describe it. It's... You know, when I won 800, like I say, it was such a shock almost. I couldn't comprehend that I'd won it. And then I'm being told, okay, that's not the medal you came for. You wanted to be Olympic 1500 metre champion for 20 years. Um, Put it in the box and pretend you haven't got it. And I'm like, yeah, really? Seriously? (laughs) I wanted to party. And everyone's going, but you're in the shape of your life and do not ruin. This is a time when you can actually achieve what you've always wanted. You're not fighting against anything. You're not trying to grab. You know, I doubled up at most championships I went to despite my injuries, but I never fulfilled my full potential. And I suppose I just realised, you know, that I've let myself down in the past where I've kind of, my head has switched off because I've got one medal and I could have won another, but I'm, like, I'm just happy with whatever yeah. one I've grabbed. Um, so, yeah, so finishing the 1500, honestly, seriously, was just, it was like a big ton weight, like, went off my shoulders because people do not and would never know, obviously, the pressure I felt myself under mm. to just do what I believed I was and a lot of that was maybe just some external I'm not religious but some external sort of force going right this is your moment but also just wanting it so badly for those years but I had to at that time not think like that all I had to do is now I was in the shape of my life my times I'd been running had been amazing I'd been like rank number I think two of the 800 in the world that year anyway I'd lost all my 1500 metres I have to say that year because I put so much pressure on myself almost like you know I can do this but if I'd allowed myself to really think about it too much, mm. I would never. So when I went into the 1500, it was almost like, well, if I come back with any colour, I mean, how great to be an Olymp- Olympic champion and get another medal. Sure. I mean, that hadn't yeah. really been ha- hadn't happened in women's yeah. uh, sport at all. So I was like, well, that'd be great. So I took the pressure off me thinking, just in the shape of my life, I know what I need to do, just run. And I felt like... I actually felt, and I ended up having an angel written on my t- on my shoulder because I've literally felt like 
Sorry, lifted me. Like I was kind of just floating. Oh. I've only ever had that three times in my career, and I've had it when I broke the British record for the eight, uh, 1500 meters. It stood for 12 years at the Olympic Games in Sydney when I should not have even been at those games. I had a, um, six weeks of running only. The rest was in the gym and, and um, uh, the pool and just keeping fit because I'd had a 12 centimetre calf tear and I was leading with 30 metres to go in the final of the women's 800 and the only reason I probably didn't win gold is I scared myself. I looked up at the big screen and thought, I'm in front. Yeah. Like literally, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and I suddenly tightened up <laughs> and then, you know, one went past, another went past and suddenly I got a bronze medal. But I felt that euphoria type yeah, thing. Yeah. It's just an amazing feeling because it's like anyone, maybe, you know, don't look at it as Olympics, but you know, you could have got a PB or you could have done something you never thought you'd ever do. Yeah. Like even mm. as a park run or your first couch to 5K and you've done it or your first marathon or just something where the starting point was, oh God, this is like yeah. hard. And then you do it, yeah. you know, multiply it, yeah, maybe by a million because it's kind of in a big stadium and For it's sure. a thing. Yeah. But it's just still that thought process of, wow, I've yeah. done it. And it was what I, you know, I couldn't believe it at the start. I have to say, three months later, I was still pinching myself thinking, I'm kind of in a coma or so, I'm going to wake up yeah. and be on the start line. <laughs> it's like, it's just re- surreal. I can't explain it other than that. You, you mentioned uh, parkrun in there. I know mm. you're, you're a big ambassador of parkrun. I just wondered what... I'm just it... a fan. I'm not even an ambassador as such. I'm just a fan of it. I so, like so it. What is it that, that you like about parkrun? And do you think it's a an avenue for people to improve maybe their mental health as well as their physical health? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a fantastic movement. I've done a lot. I enjoy it. I did a, a TV documentary about it on BBC. It was what I believe it's done is a, it's a movement. You know, it's a movement where people can come together. Firstly, for a social element, a commitment. You know, nine o'clock on the morning in the UK, half nine other places, eight o'clock other places. But it's a commitment to go to an event and do 5K. It does not matter whether you're walking, whether you are sprinting, whether you're using it as a um, a sense of getting back over something. So, like, I know people that have got over, like, even last weekend, I was down in Chichester, um, you know, triple height heart bypass. Yeah. There just because, wants to do it and wants to prove so he can get better, yeah. right? Come last, 223 people, I think it was, came last. I got my dad doing it. He done run. I've started him off. He's <laughs> just turned it seventy. I started him off in January, um, in January two thousand nineteen this year, and um, I just said you've got to be healthier. You can't live your life like mm. this. I made him do this park run because the family went down to Chichester for his weekend, and I said you're doing a park run. <laughs> I said, Walk. I said the only thing is you're not coming last because that lady's had a triple heart bar post. You have no excuse. And he came 220th out of 223. I was so proud because yeah. he did it. Yeah. The park run enables people to come together. It's a social event first and foremost. It's a physical achievement because you're doing 5K, however yeah. you want to do it. And definitely in mental health because so many people go there because it stops isolation. It, stop, it, it helps with that, I say, communication, socialising mm. and a feeling of achievement in a way. Definitely. You know, you've got dogs buggies young young kids adults you've got those people that are using it as a training session so go off and sprint and do 16 minutes brilliant yeah. go and do it or you can do 55 minutes like my dad brilliant yeah. you've done it we're all only doing 5k yeah. I, and I love it I just turn up rock up at one that I'm working at and yeah. take a few you know do a little tour, hi there, <laughs> run, <laughs> take photos and then go. Yeah. I've seen you running back as well, sort of high-five uh, yeah. people as you finish. I always yeah. do that. As soon as I finish, I go back through the field because, 
Yeah, I always want them to do like that kind of give back thing, you know, like yeah. we put a vest on or a T-shirt, the first 10 or 20 people, and then I go back through and cheer everyone on because... You know, I'm not there at Parkrun to win a gold medal. I'm there mm. just because I want to do a 5K and it actually makes me do something on a Saturday morning yeah. and I interact and do it. It's different. All the courses are different that I go to. Yeah. Just give, Yeah, I just love it. So if I can go back and motivate people and cheer them on, they think that by them walking or jogging slow isn't, like, embarrassing. Mm. It's like, I'm going, well done, brilliant. At least you're here. Yeah. So a lot of people are still in bed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not yeah. doing anything. <laughs> I've got a question. This is more of a light-hearted question, yeah. Kelly. This is about Athens. And we did a piece in one as well recently about the best running haircuts. Mm-hmm. And your, Deep journalism. And your, right? your haircut in, in Athens made it in. Oh, and there's a fun, and, But there's a funny story, isn't there? Because you went over and, you, and didn't, I can't, wasn't it a chance meeting that led to, this, to these braids or not? Yes. Okay, so this is the story. I'll try and be as quick as I can. <laughs> I was in Aphrodite, Cyprus, where the British holding camp was. Right. And um, we'd been there a couple of weeks, I think. And my hair... I can't even remember how my hair was before it, but I was thinking about I need it braided because I have a big deal with my hair. And I thought, I do not want my hair to be overcome. The fact, well, I'm, you know, like kind of override yeah. why I'm actually there and worry about what my hair looked like. Not that I really cared about what I looked like when I was an athlete at all, but my hair was an issue. So I wanted it braided. Now, you probably remember Darren Campbell. Mm. Yeah who was part of the winning 4x4 gold medal team, uh, 4x1, sorry, gold medal team in Athens. Anyway, he had a training partner there who convinced me that he could braid hair because he did his sisters. So we go off, we've gone and done our training, everyone's done it, I'm just thinking, I've had my hair taken out, I'm waiting for this guy to turn up, I won't say his name, embarrass him. Um, (laughs) Anyway, he comes down, I said, he said, oh, has anyone got a, a, a comb? I went, no, haven't you got a comb? And he said, no, so we got a pen lid. And he's like, oh, separate my hair with a pen lid. I went, are you sure? So anyway, he's doing it. Anyway, Darren Campbell had had a little, small little niggle that, that people were worried about. So he goes, I've got to go off to him. I'm now sitting there with my hair like literally like a fro, thinking he better come back. If there's no one else that could braid hair. Right. All the sprinters that did have their hair done were in a different location. They were all going off to Athens. I was thinking, you actually kidding me? <laughs> like that. Anyway. What happened to us is earlier on in the day, we'd been down at a beach, Aphrodite's, and we're playing skimming and all of that, and I'd become skimming Olympic champion because I was crap at every throw until I said, right, next one's for the Olympic title. I'm like, I was like, yeah, Olympic. Anyway, this family came over and said, said, oh, Kelly Owens, blah, blah, blah. I said, hi. And uh, we're just chatting, everyone's having photos, and there's actually a little film clip of this. It's so funny, yeah. I've seen it. Anyway, they go off. This woman comes back, she went, hi, um, my name's Pat and I'm a hairdresser in London. So if you ever need me, give me a call. She gave me a card to put it in my pocket. Right. So this is just a chance meeting. Yeah. Anyway, obviously, roll back. It's night time. I've got an afro. The girl said, one of the girls that was with me said, what about that lady you met on the beach? I went, see, lives on a random beach. <laughs> she's on holiday. Like, she's going to be able to do it. She went, call her. So I called this number. I went, beep. Oh, oh no. And I was literally going to cry. She went, call it again. I called it. And uh, I went, hi. And I went, um, hi, uh, Pat. Because I was reading nothing. I said, um, my name's Kelly Holmes. You met me on the beach. She went, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, this is going to be sound really weird and I know you're going to say no, but are you anywhere near Aphrodite's? And she went, yeah, we're only like um, sort of down the road. Yeah. And she and I went, well, I am desperate. 
can you braid hair? Can you come up to a holding camp? She went, yeah. And she said, actually, this is funny. We just cancelled our trip because my son's a bit ill tomorrow. So I can come up tomorrow. And I was leaving that night. I was thinking, oh, my God, genius. Anyway, she comes up, does my hair, looks brilliant. I jump off. I'm like, yes, I'm ready. Anyway, she goes to me. She went, God, it's so weird. She went, we'd we'd run out of petrol, right? This is her side of it now. So I've got the side this random person comes up with this card. She says... We're now driving. We've run out of petrol. She says to her husband, Phil, I need to stop at this beach. Phil was going, we're not stopping. We've run out of petrol. There's no garage. She went, I have to stop. I have to stop. So she comes onto the beach, massive beach. She just sees this group of people. And she said, I was drawn to this group of people. Then I saw you. Then I went off. And then I thought, oh, God, I've got to give her my card. So she came, like, give her my ca- the card. Yeah, wow. And then she says to me, and the thing is, I've never, ever, ever travelled before with all my hair equipment. I just, ha- I just, for some reason, pull it in on our trip to Cyprus. Wow. And we're best friends now. That's crazy, an amazing story. incredible. I called her two weeks later after the Olympics. I was finally undoing all my bags and I saw the card at the bottom of my bag. I was like, oh, that Pat. So I called her and I said, Pat, 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 it's Kelly. And she was screaming because now I'm double <laughs> Olympic champion, aren't I? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that. And I said, I know, it was the hair, it was the hair. So yeah, that was the story. And the other very quickly part of that story is obviously I had to have it redone because I wanted it to be neat. Yeah. <laughs> so now I need it kind of refreshed for the 1500 metres and right. I'm thinking about who am I going to get to do this and somebody said oh go to the Jamaican team they're bound to do it I'm thinking oh yeah so I went in and I'm sitting in this apartment and this girl starts doing it and Merlin Otty who's like one of the world's yeah. famous sprinters yeah. for years when I grew up sitting there next to me <laughs> having my hair braided and I'm thinking like life is so surreal yeah. <laughs> it's so weird I bet, but, yeah. I bet that Pat's hairdresser she's got a picture of you right mm-hmm. winning that gotta be yeah of course gotta be yeah yeah. Imagine that. It's an amazing bit of advertising for your, for your hairdressing skills. Yeah, so, the yeah. Olympic champion. Yeah, Olympic hair. Slipstream. Yeah, <laughs> slipstream hair. That would be amazing, yeah. Well, that's an amazing story. Wow. Yeah, I can see why, you, you know, when you start thinking all, all those, I mean, you could call it coincidence if you want, but it feels like there was a kind of... You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 
it does feel like there's some kind of cosmic energy towards actually all no, these things going right for you no, in Athens. I, I swear there was, you know, because the same place, I, last race, last track session, I was of this, um, yeah, last track session, I was going to do this two 400 metres. And all it was is two 400 metres. I think I was aiming for like 53 seconds, so it was 10 minutes recovery. And that was it. It was my last right. sort of bit fired up session. Anyway, I was getting ready to go, and Anthony, the training partner was in the front and Zara Hyde Peters who used to be part of the performance team for British Athletics was driving I'm sitting in the back all separate radio going down going down I'm really nervous because it was going to make me decide do I do the 8 the 15 or both it was all riding on this one session so we're going down separate radio separate radio and I went oh my god I seriously could do listening to Tina Turner simply the best right now <laughs> as I said it Andrew turned the radio it came on that song <laughs> swear just... to god swear <laughs> so like, bizarre. we sat outside the stadium and I was like no one spoke. It was, no what way. is this? And then I went and ran my fastest times I've ever run in my whole career for 400. Yeah. The 4 by 4 team had done the, roughly the same distance and I even beat their times. I mean, it was ridiculous. Wow. I was flying. Yeah. There was all these little things. I could go on forever, all these bits that happened to me, but we ain't got time. Kelly, tell, tell us a little bit more about your book, Running Life, then. Yeah, so I did a book um, at the beginning of the year. I was asked whether I'd like to do another one. I was thinking, shall I, shan't I? And there was a lot on the fitness industry because I do a lot more in the fitness industry. And I thought there's a lot on fitness, a lot on nutrition. What elements can I bring in? So actually what this book has is probably 40% is to do with mindset and mental health awareness because it's all about kind of if you want to change something, either you want to get fitter, stronger, faster, lose weight, whatever, you can do all that through training and exercise and diet and nutrition. But if your brain doesn't say you're going to do it or commit to something, mm. then you're, never, it's, you're on a back foot already. Right. But if actually you're in a bad place in your life, but you know fitness and exercise is going to help you, but you're not ready to accept that actually that is part of um, self-help again you're not going to do anything so the book really covers a lot on motivation mindset and mental health awareness all, and self-help tips so it's more like it's very colourful lots of nice photos lots of nice recipes so whatever stage you are feeling whether it's a positive one you'll go to the fitness and there's running tips and there's training things that I used to do you know there's uh, recipes from I used to have a coffee house so there's recipes in there and then the other bit is like so it's more like a coffee table book if you want to open it up and you're having a bad day yeah. it gives you tips and things of how you can just help yourself through that period of time that you're feeling quite low and uh, yeah I'm really pleased with it just because it it really captures what people now are talking about but in a more relaxed home setting you know just have it on your side you don't have to really tell anyone but you can think about things yourself and help so yeah I'm really pleased with that actually yeah um, we were looking at your Wikipedia page earlier oh gosh I haven't looked at that for years probably wrong <laughs> well no well, this is it so there were a few things that, there were a few things that popped up which we were just suddenly like <laughs> I, we were certainly unaware we're like true or not yeah. yeah so were you a lorry driver yes I was a heavy goods vehicle driver in the army I joined when I was just before I was 17 dream of mine since I was 14 to be in the army physical train instructor not to be a lorry driver, but I joined because <laughs> I was desperate to get in, yeah. yes. And I've just renewed my just renewed my licence only because <laughs> like if it all fails, I can drive a truck. <laughs> or actually, it's quite a nice starting point when you're doing like something for the, uh, I don't know, some industries I talk yeah. to, and it's all kind of like transportation right. or something. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I, got my, I yeah. got my license. I got the license. <laughs> nice. Also, there was, they said that you were the judo champion. <laughs> yeah, in the army. Yeah, just for yeah, I was army judo champion. I tried to give everything a go. 
Yeah. And then you get lots of injuries because you're getting thrown and slung everywhere. Were, were, you, like were you good at every sport then? You were kind of no. people who just, okay, right. But running was obviously, obviously you're good at running. It was running, yeah, since I was 12. But no, definitely not. I mean, I failed my first selection for become a PTI because I was only good at running. I right. couldn't catch a ball. I, couldn't, right. I still can't. But I couldn't catch a ball. Couldn't like do ball sports at all. Wasn't ever a swimmer. And when I failed, that sense of failure and telling me someone telling me I wasn't good drove me to be better. So I put myself in every single course you can imagine in the army and then went for my next selection, became top like student in it. And yeah. then I transferred to become a PTO when I was 21. And that was yeah. one of my dreams come true. That seems to be a, a real pattern of your life is that like you don't let a setback like put you off stuff it's like, it's like a real driver for you to do that yeah because you still get disappointed you know still like it hurts as much as anything else when you don't achieve mm. I think people should take that in life you know it's like if you, if something makes you feel bad or you feel disappointed or upset you obviously want it because mm. otherwise you wouldn't care you'd be like oh I can't bother yeah. mm. whereas everything I do and put my mind to I care about because I want it to be good Yeah. <laughs> so I get disappointed I still cry I still feel like people don't believe in me I still feel like oh I'm not good at things but it just drives me to try and get better well Kelly thanks so much for uh, for making the time to speak with us on our podcast thank you it was absolutely amazing to have you on the show and a real honour and like a privilege for, for me and Ben to speak to you so thank, thank you. you so much thank thanks you One of the nice things about uh, working for Runners World is we receive lots of letters from readers. Yeah. About loads of stuff. Um, but I thought I'd read one out um, that's specifically about how running has, has helped somebody's mental health. And this, this guy is called Ben Fowler. And he emailed in and said, uh, In short, running and runners have inspired me to live again. I've been suffering from severe anxiety and depression for over three months. Uh, at least this was when I was diagnosed. But as it turns out, it's more like 12 years. Uh, in these three months, I've had I've tried loads of things, counselling, medication, yoga, wellness and mindfulness. The only thing that's really helped, though, has been running. Uh, he's read two books uh, in particular uh, that have changed his life. Uh, Jog On by Bella Mackey, who, of course, experienced anxiety and, and wrote about it so well. And Born to Run uh, by Chris McDougall. Since then, I've been running every day, he says. Not only this, but I've signed up for my first race, the Gower Marathon, and have eyes on two ultras next year. I cannot stress enough how much running has helped me to overcome my emotions and personal difficulties. Uh, so he says, yes, without running, I'm not, um, I'm not sure the person writing this email would be emailing you. So, I mean, and honestly, we get, um, I mean, that's a particularly powerful letter, but we, we get lots of those in. And it's um, people aren't alone in these things. And uh, I think it's great that more and more people are being prepared to open up about mental health. Yeah, and as as, as Kelly was saying, just the, the the importance of communication. So even if even if it is writing a letter to people that you perhaps don't know, but mm. you know you enjoy running and you want to share your your story, then please do podcast at runnersworld.co.uk, and um, we'd love to hear from you. His fingers on a button, his ears to the ground. He's done a bit of googling and he's had a nose around. He's a detective. Wearing running shoes Carry McCarthy and his weekly running news He's here Both barrels of his running news shotgun are locked and loaded <laughs> Welcome back, <laughs> Kerry What can I say to an introduction like that? For once, I have no pithy comeback I'm, I'm just going to wallow in that introduction Thank you very much um, Good morning to you both So I've got three bits to go through this week you, uh, Listeners won't be Surprised to hear that two of them uh, are sort of world championship related. Mm. The first one, tangentially, um, and it's something that probably most runners, if they're track and field fans, will have heard about, is the banning of Alberto Salazar, the legendary coach, 
last week, six days ago, I think now. He was banned for four years for doping violations. A, a quick rundown. He was he was banned for kind of multiple transgressions, really. Um, um, there's been a lot of rumblings about Salazar for a while, which mm. is, you know, which is really unfortunate. I mean, when you go back to his... Uh, his own career as an athlete, he was known as, you know, uh, one of those guys who would run until he dropped. And a, a couple of times he literally did. He was mm. three-time winner of the New York Marathon from 1980 to 82, won the Boston Marathon. Um, he went into coaching in, I think, 1996. And, and really that's where his kind of desire to win took a, a bit of a wrong turn, it seems. Um, he first coached uh, famous athlete Mary Decker in 96. Mm. She was banned in 97, testosterone, yeah. as far back as then. Um, you fast forward a little bit. There were rumblings in 2011, which is when Mo Farah moved over uh, to to Oregon to be coached by him. Um, in 2013, Cara Gouch, the American athlete, basically turned whistleblower and said she'd been pressured to take thyroid medication. Uh, there's been a lot going on since then, and this is basically the culmination of a, I think, a six-year investigation and. I don't think anybody's surprised in as far as mm. Salazar used to carry testosterone around in his bags and say, don't anybody touch my bags. I don't want them to be contaminated. I've got testosterone in there. And his story was that he was conducting experiments uh, to find out what the minimum level of testosterone would be that would show up in an athlete's system because he was apparently paranoid that his athletes would get uh, spikes, effectively, mm. right, have right. some kind of like muscle rub with testosterone and, and it introduced to them. Yeah. Right little bit odd yeah um yeah and basically now they that they have lots of whistleblower testimony lots of proof it seems he's been banned for four years um seb kerr in his role as the iwf president has basically instructed all athletes who have been coached by him to sever all ties at the same time i should say as saying that none of these athletes should be tarnished mm. um just because they they coached under him um sifan hassan the the ethiopian mm. dutch athlete who you may have seen on your telly box over the last few days. She's the she was the lady in the orange vest who ran an unprecedented double of gold medals in the 1,500 metres and 10,000 metres, mm, yeah. which is astonishing, Brett. She's coached by Salazar. She was very angry about the whole thing. Yeah. Well, she was. She, she posted about sort of in the, the rhetoric was kind of almost in the how dare they interrupt my training before the Worlds. Was that her? Who's yeah, that was her. Yeah, she yeah. swore in the BBC and, you know, live and all that kind yeah, of stuff yeah. and was really worked up about it. But... Uh, I mean, the the big yeah. thing about this is how can a coach, and this is the this is the question that's been asked a lot on social media. How can a coach be banned for doping violations yet no athlete has been fat? Like, so what's he doing? You know, the rules basically state that even if the athlete is unaware of what's happening, yeah. if they're found to have doped, then if they have something in the system, they get banned. Yeah. Mm. So it's a it's a really good question because he was kind of experimenting on on athletes and some you know. This endocrinologist, Jeffrey Brown, was brought in by the Nike Origin Project, which is basically a project set up by Nike years ago specifically to help US athletes compete with African long-distance athletes. Mm. Mo Farah was a bit of an aberration, not being an American, obviously. He was kind of, I think, the first non-American to to go and join the group. Mm. But then Jeffrey Brown was brought in, and lo and behold, suddenly all these athletes who never knew they had asthma were being diagnosed with asthma and saying, take this. Yeah, Mm. Yeah, I remember Michael Johnson was... um, Speaking about when Hassan was was very angry on on the BBC, and he said that actually getting angry about this isn't isn't enough. If you go and mm. train with, and I think he went over to Salazar when he was under investigation yeah. so in twenty seventeen. Um, that's actually not that's not the best response. What you need to do is is say, look, I'm an advocate for for clean sport. I, I'm I'm happy to be investigated whenever whenever you want. Um, 
you can look at my old record. That that's that's the kind of way that hopefully can rebuild trust, not just becoming um, irate about people's lack of trust. In well, me. you've just answered my the question that I was going to pose, though, Rick, which is really as as Brits, mm. the question that everybody is going to be thinking about now is, what does Mo Farah know, and um, what does he do now? Yeah, because there is no suggestion that he's guilty of any transgressions. Uh, he no longer works with Salazar. He left him two years ago and now works with Gary Luff, Paula Radcliffe's husband. Mm. But Salazar did oversee his transformation and his major, from kind of yeah. perennial sixth-place finisher to, to, you know, world beater. Yeah. Um, so obviously the British media are going to be digging around, you know, what mm. what should Farah's response to this be? Yeah, and 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 presumably we'll, there'll be sort of further investigation into into Farrow and other athletes um, as a result of this investigation, I should think. Yeah, I would have thought so. But I think, you know, the point that you made that uh, about Michael Johnson's thoughts on mm. if you've got nothing to hide, then just go, OK, bring it on. Yeah. You know, test me every day if you want. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Anyway, so moving that. on from that, all very tawdry, something slightly more <laughs> uh, amusing, or at least it is to me, it's it's about the Norwegian athlete, um, Philip Ingebrigtsen. Um, if you think you have it rough during a you know a mass start half marathon, all the elbows <laughs> and tripping and couples holding hands that you've got to dodge around, think of poor old Tadesse Lemmy of Ethiopia. Um, it was all going off during the final lap of the 1,500-metre heats in Doha. Everyone jostling position. You've seen it many times. Norwegian athlete Ingebrigtsen then gets a bit irate and punches Lemmy in the back, mm. not even subtle about it, um, and then cuts him up from behind, trips him up. Lemmy goes down like a sack of spuds, gets trampled by the rest got, of the pack. Ingebrigtsen nips over his prostrate body and, and finishes the race, qualifies for the semi-final, not disqualified. Yeah. So I, I don't know if that's teaching us the lesson that violence pays, but... <laughs> he did. But he it's, remar- him. it's absolutely remarkable. If you, you think, watch the video, he yeah. thumped him. Like, think, it's just like, yeah. The, the thump wasn't initially seen, and actually I remember, I think, I, I don't know if it was Cram or, or someone commented and said, well, he, like the trip itself, that could be enough to yeah. be banned. Yeah. And then this little rabbit punch goes in beforehand. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable that he wasn't bad. And finally, more proof for all you runners that you're awesome and that doing what you do is going to keep you alive for longer. Yay. Yeah. Um, so this segment is basically just an invitation for me to, to pat yourself on the back if you're listening to this. Feel even better about yourself for the steps that you take quite literally every week to keep the old chap with the hooded cowl on the side at bay. <laughs> um, and if you're in a bit of a fallow mojo period, this will hopefully be, you know, the electrodes to the private parts that you need. Um, there's new research out of Norwegian University of Science and Technology, which suggests that a couple of decades of low activity lifestyle uh, doesn't merely increase your risk of premature death; it doubles it. Right. Um, there's perhaps no surprise there to, to kind of learn that if you you know you sit on your backside, it's not going to mm. go well. But there's also the sobering thought that if you are active and then stop being active, the benefits that you've built up are just going to disappear. Oh yeah. no. Um, you have to keep it up, basically. So here's some context on how they did the study. Basically, collected data three times over a 22-year period. An activity was categorised as inactive, i.e. nothing, moderate, fewer than two hours a week, and high, at more than two hours weekly. Um, those who reported being in- inactive in the two f- first two data collection periods had double the risk of dying and a staggering almost three times greater risk of dying from cardiovascular disease. Mm. Wow. Um, people who were super active early on but later became sedentary experienced a similar risk as those who were always inactive. Um, those who started sedentary but later up their game 
if you've come to running late, maybe didn't start till your 40s, 50s, 60s, um, people inactive at the start but who later exercised for more than two hours a week still had an increased chance of, uh, slightly increased chance of early death, but it was much, much smaller than those who had be, always been inactive or those who had just kind of like given it up. So the takeaway message is basically becoming inactive is associated with about the same increase for mortality as sustained inactivity. Mm. So don't be thinking that, you know, that egg and spoon race in 1998 <laughs> is still going to see you right all the way into your retirement. You have, you know, you've got to you keep, keep it going. It. Yeah. So if you're listening to this as a former runner or perhaps a new to running, but, you know, you used to exercise and haven't for a long time, suspect you should be doing something about it, then well done because you absolutely should be doing Kerry, that's great. Thanks very much for your uh, your weekly running news and we'll see you next week. Cheers. That brings us to the end of this very special uh, Runners World podcast. I'd like to say a huge, huge thanks to our guest, Dame Kelly Holmes, and to Number 8 Studios in Soho, of course, where this was recorded. For more news, reviews, interviews, and much, much more from the wider world of running, please head over to runnersworld.com slash UK. Please like and subscribe on iTunes. Leave a message saying how much you love Dame Kelly. And thanks to Acast, our hosting partner. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.